Welcome back to the A to Z of Godly Relationships. It's great to have you with me. And first of all, I'd like to say thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time to listen in. And if you're new here, if it's the first podcast you've listened to from me, um, thank you. Thank you. It's good to have you also. Um, last week, we did a great podcast interviewing Pastor Kunle, and it was really great to see the response. And clearly, lots of you are very interested on in what it's like dating as a pastor. For this week, I wanted to talk to you on something slightly different and just share my views, really, my experience, and maybe just thrash out what our feelings are around. Are your daddy issues affecting your dating? Now, this one is a big one, certainly for me. Um, If any of you have uh, listened to me before, you've probably heard me mention that I wrote a book uh, regarding this topic and called Plus One Equals Three. It's available on Amazon if you want to check it out. But it's really a big part of it is about my journey, my story, um, and quite a big section of it is around my own daddy issues. So I'm going to speak today regarding these issues and let's see where we get to. Let's see what God wants to do with it. So let's jump into it. So for me personally, um, my issues were based very much uh, with with regards to relationships and dating were very much based around my dad and the absence of my dad. Now, my dad left when I was 13. Um, I was 13 years old and I'm in my 40s now. So 13 back then isn't like 13 now. I was very much, when I think about me at 13, I was very much a child, you know, very young. Um, I remember even the stuff, I wasn't fashion conscious yet. And um, I had an older sister who's three, or I still have an older sister who's three years older than me. And she, um, you know, I I kind of followed her. So I, I, I didn't really have my own identity as yet if you like but my daddy issues started I believe now in hindsight they started long before my dad left at 13. I believe for as far back as I can remember that my issue started um, probably around the age of I think five to be honest and I'll tell you why I'll tell you why so my parents, uh, they divorced when I was around, I think I was around five. Yeah. And then I became that, that Sunday kid, you know, who would visit that me and my sister would visit my dad when we were, um, you know, on a Sunday. And so we were the weekend kids, you know, but at the age of five, my dad was still in the home, but I don't remember a relationship between my mom and my dad. You know, even though I remember bits of him being there, it wasn't that family unit that you imagine or that you see in the movies. And I mean, no one's ever is, is it? But it just didn't look anything like it was so far removed from that model um, that for me, my issue started back then, because even though my dad was in my life, I didn't have the kind of relationship that I guess a little girl would want to have with their dad. I didn't even know what that was or what it looked like. I knew it wasn't what I had. And so I'll give you a bit of a breakdown of what it was like for me, certainly as a child. And some of it may resonate with you or you may know people who are in this scenario. You may even find that in your own circumstances now that maybe you have children whose father is absent um, and you can see certain behaviors or, you know, there's certain things maybe to be aware of. 
So for example, in my household, I had as a child, no freedom, no freedom at all. Now you wouldn't expect as a five-year-old and let's think, you know, at, at five years old, you don't have freedom per se to go and come and go as you please. Of course you don't. But I think the, the severe limitations that were placed on myself and my sister and my siblings when we were younger meant that I we just there's so many things we could not do even within the home um really and and to me silly things as well but they were so so my dad was so so strict and regimental that what it did for me in hindsight is that it made me fiercely independent when my dad left the home and when I grew into an adult I I had this feeling that nobody was going to control me like that again you know nobody was going to dictate to me like that again another element I experienced as a child was as well as the no freedom was as I said the the very strict rules very very strict rules Um, everything had to be done in a certain way by a certain time in a certain format Um, and there was no stepping outside of those lines there was no opinion to be had nothing like that and what that did for me as an adult is it made me super spontaneous even in my work, I don't like two days being the same. I get very bored with the the, the sort of mundane task of an everyday job. Um, for example, I started life out, my career started in banking. And at the time, it was a great job to have. I was working in the city in London and I was in one of the biggest branches, like the head office. And, you know, it's very prestigious. And, you know, it, it, it was a fantastic job to have having left school. Um, but I hated it. I hated it because it was pretty much the same thing every day, the same systems being used and all of that. So although it paid well and, you know, my mom was so proud, I hated it, absolutely hated it. And I think a big part of that is my character. But another part of that is because I was so regimented when I was a child that I now want to break out of that. And I just want to be spontaneous. I'm spontaneous in my relationships with with my husband. I would just say, let's do this. And off we go. And I love that. I love that about my relationship with my husband is that everything doesn't have to be planned to the finest, minute detail. Um, Although I'm very much a planner, which is kind of ironic. I'm very much a planner. I do like my freedom and spontaneity. Another thing growing up with my dad um, was that the rules, as well as having strict rules, there were very silly rules, I found. Even, Even as a child, I remember thinking, this is silly. It's silly. So I'll give you an example. We weren't allowed to have slippers. Slippers as you would consider slippers. Like, um, you know, and I, you know, the sort of soft sole, uh, furry inside, um, you know, things like that. And with children's ones, they almost fit like a shoe, didn't they? They didn't just slip on. They fit like a shoe and they were soft and they were cozy. And they were like house shoes, you know, and it kept you warm and cozy and comfortable. We weren't allowed to have those because those um that the rubber there was used to be like a rubber under the sole that would wear out and so it was a waste of money as far as my dad was concerned and therefore we would have to wear clogs not clogs like um what what you see you know what you see now the clock not I mean not like the Dutch clogs but they were more like shawls I don't know if anybody knows what those are it's almost like just a flat wooden platform with a strap over the top and a buckle we would have to wear and remember we're kids yeah it was sort of five you know five and and eight my sister would have been at the time we had to wear those because they lasted a long time but you see the problem was they made a lot of noise 
on the, on the floors, you know, any floors that didn't have carpets, it would make a lot of noise. Coming down the stairs would make a lot of noise. And if we made a lot of noise coming down the stairs with them on, we would get beaten, literally smacked and beaten. If we didn't wear them, we would get beaten. So we couldn't really win. Remember, we're five, <laughs> five and eight. So we couldn't win. And so this is the thing. The rules were silly, but I, I couldn't tell my dad. I could not tell my dad, well, that's silly. I would have been beaten for that. And so we kind of had to try and find a way where we scrunched up our little toes to keep the shoes flat to our feet and then tiptoed down the stairs in these clogs. Um, again, silly. Now, what that created me as an, as an adult was the rebellion. Don't tell me that I need to do that. That's ridiculous, not doing it. And I would resist and resist and resist. Even things that, you know, um, methods or strategies that would come my way, I'm not going to jump on it. I want to see how it works. I want to see if it's, you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm more of a sort of phase two, phase three person than a phase one. So just because Apple's got the newest phone out, I'm not guessing it straight away. I want to see what happens beforehand. I'm, no one's going to tell me that I need to have this thing or I need to do this thing or I need to do it a certain way. And so there was a, a level of rebellion that built up in me, I think, because of these silly rules. Another thing that didn't happen as a child for me was no encouragement. I don't remember getting encouragement from my dad. I can't remember being told, well done, or that's amazing, that's fantastic, you're really good at that. I don't remember hearing any of that. I just remember being in judgment all the time. I just had to be good, just had to be good. And so without that encouragement... I, I'm, I, I'm now quite a feedback junkie and I'm not the person who, who begs for it and crave for it. But from my husband, I absolutely crave for it because I think if I've done something well, I appreciate you telling me and that gives me wings to fly. If you tell me I've done something well, I'll do it all over 15 times, you know, for you. Um, and that encouragement for me personally, encouragement goes such a long way. You know, edification, um, just acknowledgement of, of things that have been done. It goes such a long way again did that stem from not having it as a child or is it just my character I think there's a mixture of both the other thing I got as well from um, my dad or I experienced as a child living with my dad was embarrassment I remember feeling very very embarrassed by my dad's behavior in many ways but for one example he would say we weren't allowed to have um, friends over to the house at all for any reason not going to happen um and so we accepted that it's not as if we'd had it before and then it had changed we'd always been like that with my dad there so it just never happened but what it meant is I spent as much time as I could at friends houses I had one friend in particular she lived on the route to my school so when I got a bit older um my sister and I would walk to school and you know I she, I think my sister would walk on to school and I would go to my friend's house and I would literally hang out with her and her family in the morning sometimes I was there early enough to get some breakfast as well it's not that I didn't get breakfast at home I just loved sitting around the table with them they all sat down and had breakfast in the morning I mean that was so completely alien to me but I loved it I absolutely loved it and so I would make a point of going there almost every morning and having breakfast with them and then walking to school with my friend of course my dad knew none of this he would not have allowed it because my dad would see it as 
if you're going to somebody else's house and having breakfast the message you're giving them is that we can't afford to give you breakfast and so you're going begging that's exa- exactly the sort of thing you would say is you're going begging don't take food from people because it looks as if we don't feed you you know or, or my dad's more likely to say I don't feed you um and so um that embarrassment for me came when that same friend said to me I'm coming to your house after school I didn't know how to say to her you're not allowed and even at that very young age I felt bad because I thought I'm always at her house. I'm always playing with her toys. I'm hanging around her family. I'm eating her food. I can't say to her on this one occasion, you can't come to my house. And I was far too embarrassed to explain that it was because it was my dad's rule. And so in my mind, I computed that after school meant 3 4 o'clock, my dad didn't get home from work till like 5, 6. Although my dad was self-employed, he was a builder, so he didn't have, you know, a, a, a sort of, official end time or clock off time um but generally he would get home sort of evening early evening sort of thing and so I thought right I'm just gonna let her come we'll play for a bit and then I'll say to her right I've got you've got to go because I've got to do I don't know homework or have my dinner or something like that so she came around and you can guess what happened my dad came home early he found her there, shouted at her, shouted at me, sent her home immediately and told her never to return to this house again. And the level of embarrassment that I had to contain within me because I couldn't say anything to my dad. And if I cried in front of him, that was weakness. And so I had to just contain the embarrassment. But that bottled up inside me. And how has it affected me now? I think there's times when I play it safe just in case because I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be shouted at. Nobody does really. But I don't want to be embarrassed by choices that I've made or anything like that. So sometimes I'll push the boat out and I'll put concepts and ideas and things like that out there. Other times I'll play it safe so that I don't um, rock the boat or offend or something like that. And so, and if I do give my opinions, I tend to give my opinions to people who are closer to me, who know the real me, who know the, 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 the sort of, uh, the all-encompassing Sonia. And so I tend to give my opinions to those people who see the holistic picture, as opposed to putting it all out there. You know, when I'm in with a bunch of strangers, for example, in a meeting, I may hold back and it's not necessarily noticeable and I may only hold back for a few minutes, but I would tend to hold back and see, uh, you know, how the land lies, what's the general, you know, consensus in the meeting. I may not agree. I I may come with an objective view, But deep down underneath, uh, there's an element of me that still plays it safe. And I think one more I'll share with you that happened to me as a child that's affected me now and affected my dating was the rejection that I received from my dad at the age of 13. Um, So as I've said, my parents divorced when I was about five. My my dad left the home eventually, um, found his own place to live. And then my sister and I would go and visit him. And that continued on until I was 13. And at 13, he sent me away. He basically rejected me. It's all in the book. So I'm not going to bore you with all the details and the story and everything, but he rejected me. And that was the end of it. He, he, he just sort of left me standing on a pavement and off he went. And I didn't see him again until I was in my, um, late twenties, early thirties. And so that rejection, uh, 
in was the probably the biggest factor I would say that affected my dating was by being rejected by my dad who had a big hand to play in my existence if you like and to me should have been my biggest male cheerleader if he rejected me I I computed that everyone and anyone would so any guy that I was dating would eventually reject me would eventually turn away or, or, or leave and so you can imagine when that happens for some people they can become very protective or very precious or very needy and clingy and jealous and attached well for me it was the complete opposite I decided at the moment well not when I was 13 because I wasn't thinking about dating but once I started to date because of what happened with my dad I decided right I'm not going to let anyone get close to me because if you're not close and you leave it's not going to affect me it's not going to bother me it's not going to have a massive part to play on my life so it's safer safer for me to keep you at a distance and that was the I think the overarching factor for me in all of the emotions and details of what I've described the rejection was the biggest one for me and it caused me to keep my distance and to hold back from people from individuals especially the people I was dating and so what I did what it looked like was uh, my average relationship would last about two months um literally two months that was the point where I would spend time with somebody we would see each other um, but it was very surface it was early stages it was getting to know you it was dating and some for some it wasn't even going out and dating they'd come round, or I'd go around to theirs and we'd hang out once it started to get a bit deeper once we started to go below the surface I was out I was out um, I, I just I'd pull away Sometimes um, it was because the person started to show true colours and I didn't like what I saw. Um, And I never, ever, and I think again because of my childhood, I never, ever felt as if I needed to be with somebody. I never needed a relationship. And so it didn't matter to me if it didn't continue. Um, I would just pull away. And, you know, sometimes for good reason, sometimes for good reason. These weren't all great guys that, you know, I missed the boat and they could have been the one. Some of them were a bit, I don't want to say it, but, you know, they weren't they weren't the best character for me. Um, And so it was good that I guess that it ended. But for some others, I think if I pushed on through some things, they could have worked out. I have no regrets there because I've married a wonderful man. But, you know, I think you understand what I'm saying. It's just that that kind of keeping myself at a distance and not wanting them to 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 fall in love or for me to fall in love with them, because that would just be too deep. That that's another level I wasn't ready to go to. And so those are some of the effects um, that I had that I think kind of drizzled or stomped all over my childhood and uh, caused me to behave the way that I behaved. I'd like to think past tense. I think there's still some some of those elements in me. What also happened was I didn't witness uh, a husband and wife relationship. Um, I was too young. I, I don't ever remember my parents even having a conversation, speaking to each other. I think the points that I remember of my childhood were um, seeing my dad in my home, seeing my mum in my home, but not together, not conversing, not talking, not engaging in any way. And there was anger. 
there was anger you know my mom worked hard really hard um and she was always busy I remember her at the sink at the kitchen sink washing up and I remember her going in and out of the house when she left to go to work and came back or I remember her picking me up from school um or her voice shouting up for us to wake up in the morning that kind of thing but I don't remember seeing her um you know my mom and my dad engaging or conversing so I didn't witness a husband and wife relationship at all and so that affected my dating because I didn't know I didn't have a model to work from um I don't remember seeing my parents working anything out in fact the only engagement I remember of my parents is them having a fight a physical fight um and that for me at that age was so frightening um and after that it all that's when it all fell apart that's when it you know the separation um happened straight after that um in fact that same night um I think my mom decided enough is enough and that was it and so that began that season of my dad moving out and us then going to visit him in his new places and he moved around a little bit and then settled in one place and that's where we would visit him every Sunday um until I was 13. So in my dad's absence then um, and not seeing my mum and dad engage, another way that it affected my dating and my relationships is that I didn't understand what the role of a man was. I had no concept of it. I didn't, like, what did a man do? What was he for in the house? I mean, you know, there's the obvious things, a man or woman in a relationship, you know what I mean, and companionship and intimacy and that kind of thing. Of course, I saw none of that. Um... But even as an adult, I still wondered, what is the role? And of course, then I start to get input from movies and media. And, you know, there was one friend that I had whose dad was present in the home. um, And their their culture was very different to mine. And so I saw dad coming, her dad coming in from work. And he would go and kiss his wife and greet her. And that's something I hadn't seen. So I would stare at him a lot. <laughs> I'm sure, I don't know. I'd be interested to see him now and ask him, Did you, do you ever remember me staring at you a lot as a child? But I was just watching to see what he did. And he was quite, um, he was quite uh, systematic. So he would come in, he would greet his wife and the rest of the family. Then he would go upstairs, and, you know, take his coat off and everything. And then he'd come back down and he would go into the kitchen and maybe begin to talk with his wife or with his family and I, you know the grandmother lived there as well and you know and then there was three children and you know they just engaged with each other and I was fascinated with it all and I just silently watched you know and I remember speaking to my friend about it and she sort of she didn't see it that way because I think she'd always had it and so therefore you know she knew the intricacies of her family whereas for me I'm coming in seeing it as a picture perfect family with everything you know just blissful because I didn't have it and so she sees it a bit differently but she accepts that yeah I mean yeah my dad was around you know and still is and so you know for me that left a kind of void of what the man does And that's something that God really had to deal with in me. And I had to learn um, once I began my walk with Christ. And I'll talk a bit more about that um, in a while. But that was definitely one of the things that left a a gap for me. Um, 
as well as that I think what maybe didn't help us because I became independent at the age of 18 I bought my first house it's a lot easier then um, to buy a property and I bought my first property at 18 and not because I'm super entrepreneurial or anything like that a big factor was because I was the youngest child and at the age of 17 when I turned 17 a clause in their divorce agreement was that the youngest child being me when that child turned 17 the house that we grew up in was to be sold and it was split 50 50 between my mum and my dad and that that would be it they would have no more ties to each other they were free to do to live their own lives and I knew that I knew that that was part of the agreement and I felt that burden I felt that it was because of me that they were still tied together and their divorce was bitter and angry and they didn't speak to each other they would not see like be in the same space or anything and so I felt I was the one thing still holding you know forcing them to have an attachment if you like and so the minute I turned 17 I started the process of finding out what it you know what I could do to become independent so that they were free to sell the house and move on with their lives Um, and I tried a few different things and long story short I ended up buying that house my mom bless her sold that house to me for a lot less than what it was worth Um, my dad wasn't interested in in helping me in that way and so he got his full 50% of what the house was worth and my mum got drastically less but for her bless her to this day she would do whatever it took for her children to be safe and comfortable so she concluded we had a discussion and she concluded that the best thing would be for me to remain in that house and she was going to begin to build her life back in the Caribbean uh, which is is what she'd always wanted and so that was the deal and so at that age I became independent um, but I had a lot of financial commitment then At, at 18 I had a mortgage and bills and things like that and so I I lived on my own from that point onwards and so I didn't again know what it was like to live in a home where there was male and female mum and dad boyfriend girlfriend even you know and um I didn't know that, didn't know what that was like. And so I became fiercely independent and I only had to think for myself. Um, What I couldn't get done myself just didn't get done. I didn't turn to anybody. I had friends, um, I had brothers, but I didn't turn to anyone. I just became like, if I can't do it, then it just doesn't happen, you know, or I need to learn to do it. And so that's what I did. And so that independence became so deep rooted a very sort of um, I don't need anyone attitude began to develop and get some really deep roots um, I became quite controlling because I, I I wanted to make sure I didn't lose the roof over my head I wanted to make sure that I didn't allow anybody in to cause destruction that I had seen in my own family I wanted to make sure that I took control of the direction that my life was going to go in and at this point, as I said, I was working in the bank. I had a decent job. I got the house. I'd, I had a car. And so I became very, very independent, not relying on anyone for money, for travel, for anything. And so while some people would see that as great, it began something in me that caused me to be so self-sufficient that there wasn't room for anybody else. 
I wonder if some of you can relate to this. Some, I feel like there's people listening who can relate to the, what I'm saying. And whilst the world paints it as a wonderful picture of an independent woman, the fact is there's elements of that that aren't necessarily what you want you don't even want that necessarily for yourself but it happens it begins to happen and it takes hold and then it becomes the norm and then it's very hard to come outside of that to see outside of that or behave outside of that what it also did was it caused me to be quite selfish um not necessarily towards other people but selfish in the sense that I had no cause or reason to necessarily think of anybody else does that make sense you know, in my home setting, it was just me. What I wanted to eat is what I cooked. If I finished the last of the juice in the box, I finished it. I didn't have to consider anybody. If I was hot, I'd open the window. If I was cold, I'd put on the heating. Whereas now, as a, as a wife and a mother, I consider the people around me. I have to stop and think. But there was a time, especially early in my marriage, until I'd learned how to behave that way, I would just do whatever I wanted without considering my husband. Um, and it wasn't because I wanted to do it, it's because it had been ingrained in me. And it, 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 had, it needed to unfold. And praise God, you know, God gave me a man who is so incredibly patient, particularly with me, that he doesn't point out my faults or he doesn't highlight certain things. You know, he leads by example. And by doing things for me, I've learned how to do things for him. By behaving in a certain way, for example, if he... Um, one of the things he does, for example, is lasting at night before we settle, like the kids are in bed and everything, and before we settle for bed, he will go downstairs and, and close down. He will close that, lock the front door, turn out the lights, close up the doors and do all of that. And he will always say to me, would you like anything from downstairs? Now, personally, I would just go downstairs and get what I wanted and come back up. But I have learned to, to reciprocate and say to him, I'm heading down. Do you want anything downstairs? And that's taught me. And it's such a simple, small thing, but it's taught me how to consider others. Whereas I never had to for such a long time, such a long time. Um, when it came to my dating, when I got into dating and I think my first, I suppose my first encounter with dating was when I was 15 or 16. It was a, a, like a youth group thing. And there was a boy who liked me. I didn't even know who he was. And I found out who he was. And then he started, he, the first time he followed me home, um, you know, just started to walk behind me as I made my way home from youth club um, one evening and, and caught up with me and we began talking. And then I, you know, we, we became friends and started dating. And, you know, I think all we ever did was, was kiss, nothing more than that. But it was just, you know, my, I guess my first relationship if you like it was so short-lived you know it was over before it started but I would say that was probably my first encounter with dating but what I discovered in my dating is that well several things really several things and I'll, 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 I'll tell you first of all I wasn't looking for someone to look after me I really wasn't and sometimes, you know, what's portrayed on the media and things like that, and, and just naturally different individual characters have different needs and different wants and desires from a relationship. I didn't want to be looked after. I didn't want to feel like someone was looking after me. I was quite capable, thank you very much, of taking care of myself. And you can see my, the attitude coming through of how I was at that time. 
I don't, I don't need you to look after me. I'm fine. Yeah, I was fine before you came along. I'll be fine afterwards. That was my approach. I wasn't looking for anyone to pay for me. You know, I don't need you to, to financially pay for me or cover any bills or um, pay for a meal. And to be honest, in those really early days, I wasn't really going out for meals. People came over and, you know, I remember a guy that I was seeing so briefly and he was just probably the worst description. I mean, if any of you listening has sons or daughters, it's probably the very worst you can think of. That was the guy that I was seeing at the time. I liked him as a person, but what he did, the things that he did, you know, um, in life um, were not something that your parents would approve of. And, but he, I remember him bringing me, he came around the day before and we'd had some biscuits. We'd shared some biscuits together and they had finished. And the next day he came around and he brought me a packet of biscuits. I remember being really touched by that, but it wasn't about the biscuits for me. It was about the thought, you know, that he didn't just turn up empty handed again and expect something from me if you like um and so that really touched me so that was fine if you wanted to bring me a gesture or a gift or something that's fine but I'm not looking to get paid for do you know what I mean that wasn't who I was at all um another thing I didn't want in my dating is please don't tell me what to do please do not tell me you can make suggestions and we can have a conversation but do not tell me what I should be doing and again because my dad did it for so long My dad dictated every move for so long that I now did not want that in a relationship. What I also didn't want was adoration. You know, I dated two guys who were like that and it, oh, it irritated me so much. And both of these guys were so lovely. I mean, whoever they're with now must be so blessed but it didn't work for me. They were so besotted with everything about me. It drove me nuts, (laughs) literally. It took me to the edge and back and I found it incredibly annoying. And again, those relationships didn't last long. And for, for the right person, they would have been like, there'd be so many, a very high percentage of women, I think that would lap up that, that, temperament and that behavior and that expression of love and very sort of touchy feely and strokey and play with my hair and all and it's (laughs) just get off you know um I didn't want that I didn't want that again I don't know if that's my character I don't know if it's because I just didn't have it I didn't see it I didn't get it from my parents I didn't have hugs and cuddles and all that kind of thing and therefore it's not not me didn't want it um I as I said before, I very much stayed on the on the surface in my relationship. So, and that was a safe place. That was no love was getting involved. You know, it was companionship. It was fun. It was you know, yeah, we'll hang out. No, we won't type thing. And I had my independence still. I had my freedom. I had my space. Uh, as I said, I lived on on my own. So I just, if I don't want to see you that evening or that day, I didn't. I just didn't. And so, you know, I had my options and I had my space and I loved it. I loved it. And so that's kind of how I was in my dating. Um, I didn't invest at all. I didn't invest. I didn't invest in a relationship. I didn't see future. I didn't see um, commitment. I didn't see plans at all. It was all just here and now, you know, Um, surf, as I said, surface level. I didn't commit in that sense I didn't commit my heart I didn't plan ahead I didn't look like 
even things like my birthday or Christmas or summer, I, I didn't think if I met someone, for example, in January, my birthday is in September. I wasn't thinking ahead like, oh, it'd be nice because this birthday I'll be with someone and we could probably do this or do not at all. Didn't even enter my thoughts. I think that only crossed my mind, say, two weeks before my birthday and I may be dating someone and I then think, OK, right. So I'm with someone for this birthday. Uh, what's that going to look like? What should we do? What should we not do? Um, no long term planning at all at all um and what that meant I guess was that I was always at the beginning of a relationship you know the early stage where you're just asking questions you're finding out about each other you're discovering new things um some of my relationships were because they they, you know we were groups of friends you know and we'd all hang out together um so that was fun and that was light and that was easy but it meant that my relationships were always you know, just at the beginning stages. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't desire anything more. I, I didn't, I didn't know what more looked like. So I didn't crave it. I didn't, you know, I just didn't, I, I, I don't even have words to give you. I think you get the picture though. I, I didn't desire more. I didn't, I didn't look beyond the now in the relationship. I didn't, I never, I was never one of those people that pictured me, um, you know, buying a house with someone and furnishing it together and or going on holiday or anything like that just didn't even come into my mind because I didn't even know what that meant and I I, as I got older I learned that movies were movies it's not real you know so whilst there's certain elements of it I'd watch it and think oh that's nice but as soon as the movie ended it was like a you know like a but it was in a bubble and the bubble would just pop and evaporate it'd be gone it wouldn't stay in my mind at all none of that stayed in my mind um one thing I did discover though is that if I was dating somebody for example um and this is such a literal explanation if I was dating somebody who who drove who had a car I mean I I had a car as well um but if 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 I went into their car I remember feeling that I didn't like (laughs) I didn't like the feeling of being in the passenger seat I mean, you, you guys must be getting such a picture of, of me like a complete control freak and you're probably not far off, you're not far wrong. But just being in the passenger seat and feeling as if every time the car turned left or right, I was in no control of it, of where that person was taking me. And I remain to this day completely hopeless with directions. So I couldn't always gauge, um, you know, where I was at any given time and whether it was the right direction towards my house if he was dropping me home or if we were going out somewhere um I was hearing all of the horror stories as well of you know like I hated being in cabs mini cabs I couldn't bear it I just not knowing and I didn't have I'd be the kind of person who would be in a cab if I ever took a cab now and I don't because I go everywhere in my car but if I did I'd probably put my google maps on and have it going no to see whether the person was driving in the right direction to get me where I'd asked them to take me because my levels of my levels of suspicion were high and also um, not feeling in control because I wasn't the one driving the car. And I noticed that in my dating is that whole kind of, you know, being in the passenger seat made me feel vulnerable and vulnerable was not something that I, I accepted for myself at all at that time. Um, so, that, I mean, that's some of the practical stuff. I want to look at some of the emotions that were going on inside me with regards to my, my, my daddy issues and my dating and how they kind of collect, connect, you know, um, 
so what there were many emotions going on inside me I think I was certainly angry at certain points not all the time but I think I was angry Uh, I was certainly hurt by um I think I was hurt by my dad pushing me away and saying what he says because the words he used were if anyone asks you who your dad is say you haven't got one which as a kid you know I was 13 but you could probably align it with about nine or ten year old back then um that really hurt it was confusing for me and I actually pictured someone asking me and me having to say those words and it really hurt at the time but it was mixed it was mixed with a kind of joy that he because he brought me he he brought me back from my Sunday visit early and said these words to me and then drove off and I remember feeling hurt at what he'd said but super happy to be back home and home early because at that point my sister had stopped visiting him so I was always jealous thinking what's she getting on with at home in this new home that had loads of freedom not loads because my mum was still very strict and stuff like that but she was sensible strict um protective strict if you like but I always felt that my sister was having a far better time than I was whilst I was at my dad's and so being home early was great but there certainly was hurt going on there certainly bitterness as I as I got older um and became an adult I was bitter because I felt like I'd been deprived of certain things and that was his fault you know um there was definitely denial, I think. Uh, denial is another one that I was going through because sometimes people would say to me, people that got to know me a bit more, they would say, maybe the fact that your dad's not around is affecting your relationships. And I would shut that right down. Oh my gosh. I would come back with things like, excuse me, you don't know me. You don't know my story. You haven't walked in my shoes. How can you tell me that it's... And, you know, I would get on the defensive straight away, instantly defending because, you know what? I didn't want anybody digging into my business. I didn't want anyone trying to work out or decipher what my past was and why I was the way I was because of what had gone on with me. And therefore, I would just shut it down and I would respond in anger or in sort of abruptness, I should say, not necessarily anger. Um, And so that was another emotion that I was carrying for quite a while. And I was ready with it. I was armed. So anytime somebody came at me with that, I was ready with my response. Um, And the way that I would respond would cause the person who was even suggesting that to just stop in their tracks. Like, we're not going there. We're not going there. Um, There was an element of fear. As I said, the rejection um, from my dad and, you know, the feelings it left in me by being rejected by him, who was my dad, left me with a fear, although I don't think I would have admitted it at the time, but it left me with a fear of being left again, you know, by anyone who I invested in. If they decided that they'd changed their mind or I was no longer convenient to having their lives or anything like that, my fear was that they would leave. So I wouldn't go down that road I wouldn't allow myself to invest long enough so that they could leave if that makes sense and if they did leave it's okay because I was still on the surface level I hadn't given them my heart and I certainly hadn't told them that I'd love them um I think I was I was resentful yes I was resentful um because I felt as if there were so many people out there so many girls and women who had something that I hadn't been able to have 
And so I resented, I didn't resent any individual per, per se. I resented the concept, I, I guess. Um, so yeah, that I think that was another one, resent, resentment. Yeah, that came, definitely came into it. And then I think blame as well. I was blaming my dad and I thought rightfully so. He was the adult and he was the one that made the decision and he was the one that messed up our our relation, mine and his relationship. Because regardless of what had gone on with my mum and my dad, he still had the opportunity to have a relationship with me and him. And he decided to cut that short. You know, that was his decision, separate from my parents' situation. That was his decision. So, yeah, I blamed him. Absolutely blamed him. But the way that I blamed him... Um, you know, again, came through in in resentment and, and bitterness and anger and all of that. kind. It wasn't a quiet resentment. You know, I wore it on my face. I absolutely wore it on my face. And if anyone who's who knew me from that period or, you know, during that season, school friends and things like that, they would probably confirm for you that I had a, a, a face on, a face on me that told everybody, just don't even, don't even bother. Don't step to me. Just, just don't. <laughs> just don't um and so you can imagine at that point you know all of these emotions that I was experiencing they weren't they didn't make for a very attractive Sonia not just physically I mean physically certainly because my face was hardened my body language probably said a lot about how I was feeling and you know the the, the, the restriction I put on other people um you know, you're not allowed in my space, you know, emotionally, physically, you know, you're not allowed in my space. And so it really wasn't attractive at all. The character that I, I ended up coming to Christ with was not attractive at all. Um, and that's why I do think we need to look at our daddy issues and look at, you know, um, and I'm painting a probably quite a negative picture. And I would like to touch on the positives, um, because if you've had a wonderful relationship with your dad growing up and you've seen great examples, not perfect, because I don't expect any person to have had this simply the most perfect upbringing. You know, nobody does. I don't believe anybody does. There's always an issue, whether it's anybody's fault um, or not. It's never perfect. And therefore, if you've had a great relationship with your dad, it, it, it can have all of the opposite emotions and all of the sort of different experiences, but it can still affect your dating. So, for example, if your dad in your eyes was a great dad and a wonderful husband to your mom, if that's what you saw growing up, you may feel that your, your dating issue may be nobody can match up to that. You can't meet anybody that can treat you the way that your dad treated you, the way that your dad made you feel, the, the, you know, the all-encompassing love and security and safety and encouragement and enthusiasm and being everywhere that you needed him to be, picking you up from school every day or dropping you off or being at every recital or sports day or assembly or anything like that. If you've had that kind of upbringing, you may have dating issues or daddy issues with regards to the fact that no man that you ever meet seems to be able to do that for you. No one can make you feel that secure. Nobody can make you feel that encouraged. Nobody can make you feel that loved and safe and sometimes small in the sense of curling up and just feeling like a, a safe little girl in daddy's arms. 
So it can still have an effect on your dating. It does not, it's not always the negative or the, you know, the kind of relationships that were seen to be negative or absent that can give you daddy issues, if you like. So I think for me, ultimately, what I carried was, um, I'd say out of all the emotions I felt, the biggest for me were the rejection, which led to the unforgiveness that I was carrying within me. And by carrying that unforgiveness, oh my goodness, I was absolutely locked away, locked away, not wanting people to have access to me, to my emotions, to my story, to my reality. And so I was in this prison, you know, keeping myself safe, making sure that that, whatever that is for you, whatever that is for me, that that doesn't happen again you know, and I realise that there may be people listening who have been, you know, physically or sexually abused in this area as well. Um, And you're making sure that that doesn't happen again, you know, and all of that gets carried on like luggage, like baggage in life. And at what point do we see change? Do we see change? Can we come out of that? Can we, you know, um, leave that stuff in the past where it belongs or does it do you carry it like a big heavy backpack every day weighed down by the weight of what's gone before it's on your back it's behind you but you are carrying it literally carrying it um, and every now and then you open it and dip into it and draw something out from it and you feel completely justified completely justified to do so because it's your backpack with your stuff you're not dipping into anybody else's, it's yours. So why should you not be able to dip into it? Well, the thing is, it weighs us down. What's in there isn't necessarily attractive. It's, it's, some of it is rotten. It stinks. And yet we still go back to it. We, we, we come back to it. Um, and we, we carry it and we don't want to leave it anywhere because someone else might discover it. So it's safer to keep it on our backs because at least then no one can touch it unless you give them permission to do so. And you probably don't give anyone permission, but you keep it with you anyway. And that's the thing. That's the, when you imagine that visual and what that looks like, if you're carrying a really heavy backpack or rucksack, as we call it, you're kind of hunched over. Your eyes are often facing downwards because just the sheer weight of it makes you bend forwards to accommodate the weight that you're carrying. Yeah, if you think of a traveller or someone who's carrying a heavy weight on their back, they're leaning forward to try and carry that weight. And sometimes their backpack is invisible, but sometimes we, we, we are bent over. We're literally walking bent over, eyes down, head forward, not making eye contact. And often we are wandering, wandering, W-A, wandering around, not sure which direction to go in, but you're still carrying this luggage definitely my story definitely my story I didn't often when I did hold my head high it was with such attitude that I was probably leaning backwards (laughs) you know in an attempt to not make everyone look at me as if you know oh poor her poor thing what she's been through and part of that strength came from my mum part of you know my mum saying to me just because you're going through things doesn't mean everybody needs to know it so hold your head high present yourself well and enter into that space with confidence and I do carry that I do carry that to this day but sometimes I try to overcompensate for the weight 
of the backpack that once I, um, you know, almost felt like, right, I'm going to take this off and I would almost lean backwards and push my chest out and, you know, appear as if I was better than everyone else around me. And so what, what changed, I guess, for me? God. God is what changed me. God is what took me to a place where he began to help me to stand upright without leaning forward or leaning backwards, but just being able to stand upright and make eye contact, you know, level eye contact with others without shame, without fear, without anger, without frustration and all the stuff that I described before. Now, I don't want to go into a sermon here, but I just wanted to, you know, highlight for you that what changed for me ultimately was my surrender. I got to a point where in that, it's all in the book, it's all in the book and I don't even have time to go over it now, but it, it's all there if you want to read it. Um, it's on Amazon, as I said, it's called Plus One Equals Three. Um, but what changed for me was the surrender, you know. Um, in Second Chronicles, it talks about in, in uh, chapter 20, verse 15, it says the battle belongs to God. I had to give it to him, give him the battle. And then what God did is he broke me down and rebuilt me in, to something that looked, looked closer to how he had created me. Not perfect, none of us are, but closer. And every day I get closer again. But I had to learn a whole new way, a whole new way of operating, beginning to see the good in people and letting go of the old, embracing the new, trusting that God had me you know, protecting me, looking forward now and not what had gone before, not looking back, but looking ahead. Um, and none of it was easy, not at all, not easy. But I, by then I'd learned that I wasn't alone in this. Um, I recognized that I couldn't do it because I'd tried for so long. I recognized I couldn't do it in my own strength, but in my obedience, um, of feeling scared, feeling that fear, but stepping out trusting God and stepping out knowing that he'd got me that was what began to really change it but also recognizing and this is a phrase that I love to say it wasn't about me was not about me it says a a scripture that encouraged me was Proverbs 21 31 where it says the horse is prepared for the day of battle but the victory belongs to the Lord so God gets you ready to be able to deal with your stuff whether it's people, whether it's circumstances, whatever, he gets you ready. He gets you ready, but he goes with you. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to him. So when I believe that when God felt that I was in a place where I could begin to deal with some stuff, but give the glory to him, not to myself, because I've been independent for so long that anything I achieve, I gave myself the credit for it. But I learned I had to give the the glory to God because he was taking me through it. What I did as well is I began to start planning, planning ahead, beginning to look at a future. And when when I made a decision that I wanted to be married, I wanted to now have a family and begin to, because by then I'd seen examples, I'd had teaching, I'd had healing, I'd read my word, I, you know, God was ministering to me. By that point now, I wanted to start planning. It felt good to plan. And so I began to pray for my husband and get to know him through God before I ever physically met him. Again, this is all in the book. Um, I understood that if God brings it, then I need it. And that's with the stuff that doesn't feel good necessarily in the moment. 
But if God brings it to me, then I need it. He needs to teach me something, show me something, strengthen me for something so that I can keep going. And I learned how to walk through the open doors that didn't always make sense, didn't always connect. But in hindsight, they have connected. And God has given me those things. He's allowed those things in my life. Yeah. Um, I learned as well that not to fear the bad. Because like with the open doors, they're there for a reason. They're there to strengthen me. And they're there to produce the fruit that I need for the next thing. So... In all of that, I give all the glory to God for who I am now and the fact that I can share my story and be open. So I would like to encourage any person listening here who has daddy issues, and I think there's a lot of us, is that daddy, your daddy, my daddy, may have got it wrong, but my dad, I mean, he's passed away now, but he was just a man. He messed up, he got it wrong, I was angry at him, but you know what? He was just a man. He was just a man and I have forgiven him for all that stuff. I think of the good stuff now. And there were good, there were good things. There were good things about my dad. I discovered as an adult, there were good things about him. There's a lot of me that's like him actually, which is <laughs> it's a bit scary. Um, but I, 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 the controller in me had to let it go, which is how the forgiveness was able to come through. I gave the reins to God. I gave God the reins. Um, and let him directly let him drive me and that's been how I've been able to come through with my daddy issues I'm gonna leave it there because I think this has been a bit of a heavy one and if if there is anyone listening who's really got a lot of stuff in this closet you know this this around daddy issues then it could be a bit of an emotional one for you and I appreciate that and I'm praying for each one of you that God will do such a work in your life and that you would allow him he wants to do it and he is doing it but you need to allow him because God is a God of choice so allow him to do the work in you and begin to see the fruit of what he wants to do guys I want to end it there thank you so much for listening in as always please if you listen to this and you know of somebody who's struggling with this please make an effort and, and take the time to forward this to them it may just be something that would help them it certainly helps me talking about it helps me every time and this is something that I've been dealing with for so long um, but every time I share about it it's another little piece of healing um, again as I said I've, I've mentioned a few times now is the, the, you know the plus one equals three book where you'll get the full breakdown and where I'm not rushing through it um on amazon um, feel free to pick that up and see if it will help you in any way but until next time thank you for listening i always appreciate when you listen and um, if you do need to feedback or encourage or anything whether it's to me or to somebody else please take the time to do that because a, a, a kind word goes such a long way take care guys remain safe until next time